it is a different piece every time I, I kind of, every time I perform it, it's the same show, but I kind of, it, it kind of like metamorphosizes, I guess, a little bit as I'm doing it every day. And it's a very surreal experience. Hey fam, Zenya here. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited for you to be joining me today as we chat with our guest, Heather Keller, about her one-woman show, Chemo Barbie. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. And head on over to patreon.com slash Xenia to join the fam and help keep this show going every single week and get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes content, and early access for my music and writing. Again, that's patreon.com slash X-E-N-J-A. Your support means the absolute world to me. Heather Keller is the creative soul behind her one-woman show, Chemo Barbie. This show documents Heather's own journey battling breast cancer. One audience member is quoted as saying, this woman put it all out there. She poured her soul through her chest, literally. It was so moving and inspiring to see such a courageous effort by someone so skilled. It's a serious, serious talent. And having personally seen Heather's performance of Chemo Barbie, I second that audience member's words. Truly one of the most inspiring shows I've seen and humorous. Heather does a great job finding levity in a difficult and painful experience. And I'm so happy she's here to chat with us today. Hello, Heather. How are Hi. you? How are you? <laughs> good. Oh, it's so good to see you. You too. You too. It is. <laughs> so we, I like to start by uh, just saying how I met each of my guests. So we actually okay. met in the summer through the artist way group we were both doing that yeah. uh, through zoom because pandemic we've not met in person i know <laughs> so weird <laughs> i know it's strange right yeah but oh well modern times modern times oh yeah pandemic pandemic times that's what it is yeah and i mean it's kind of as you know it, as hard as it is and as uh, as struggle like the struggle is totally real but it has allowed for things like this to happen and people to connect who yeah. probably would not have ever met so that's true yeah that's very true yeah it's, it's been a unique experience that we'll all be able to tell as we as we grow old yeah oh my gosh I know history books <laughs> yeah so can we start with just where you were in your life uh, prior to the cancer diagnosis? Were you a working actor? Just kind of like, what was going on? And then what was it like to receive a diagnosis? Um, so I was a working actor. I was actively auditioning and working in a lot of commercials, things like that, and a lot of theater um, and some TV film roles. And I was also running an arts education program that had been my day job as I transitioned into the, into acting and kind of, you know, so sort of in this in between phase and, um, 
so I was running the arts program and I was, I had moved up from just teaching to running the whole, the whole program. And then I was just, I was auditioning. And when I found out, I, the first, I didn't tell anyone cause I was auditioning and I, I had to, in fact, I auditioned, I had just recently had my port inserted and I auditioned and you, I didn't, wasn't telling anyone because, you know, they don't want to know that you have cancer. They'll be like, I'm not going to hire her. Or what if something happens on sets or something, you know, so I kept it very quiet. And um, I had an audition for a show where I had to wear a two-piece bikini <laughs> and I had to find a top that would cover my port. Yeah. And it was like a halter. I had to find like a halter top kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it was something that it was shocking. I, I, that, that's the scene in the show. Uh, the opening scene is, is kind of how I was just like, I'm a vegan. I'm a runner. I'm in the middle of training for a marathon again. Like I'm, a, I've run several marathons. Like, you know, I eat the healthiest diet a person can eat. Why would I have this? So I was, I was very angry. Um, yeah. And it brought that I went through all the all of the stages of grief, you could say, and I did them pretty publicly at the at City of Hope. Oh, here comes Heather. What stage is she going to be in today? You know, I was, um, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was very hard. Yeah. 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 So that's where I was. Yeah. It was, it was something that I was not planning and no one in my family had had it. So I, and you know, so that also kind of added to it. Um, my grandmother on my father's side had it, but she had been post-menopause. She was 60 diagnosis. Usually that's like not hereditary. And, and it turns out my genetics are very clean. I don't have any, anything that would cause, or, you know, a doctor to say, oh, you could possibly get breast cancer. I don't have any very, I have very clean genetics. So it was yeah. very frustrating. Yeah. And we were about to start our family too. We were kind of like, should we have our kids now? Like, you know, and then that instead I was diagnosed. So then we found ourselves in fertility treatments and then we found ourselves, you know, cause we had to preserve eggs and then make embryos. So we, yeah. So it was, it was a lot to take in at once. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it definitely sounds like it. Yeah. I think cause I mean, there's the, the, the diagnosis and, and the actual cancer, but then like all of the other things that you're mentioning that, I mean, I wouldn't even think that that of that, you know. So it's like all of these things at once. That's 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 a lot. Well, you know, in that commercial, it was a, it was a commercial for a show, and um, and so I actually was put on a veil for that, and I got nervous. I was like, "What if?" Because I'm going to have to tell them probably. Like I have this pork sticking out, but right. they didn't know. So it was the constant like. Who do I tell? I did. I shot a pilot during that time too. While I was, I cold capped. You saw the show, so I cold capped. I kept my hair, so it enabled me to not tell people. So I shot a pilot. I shot a few different, shot a few, a few different scenes in the pilot, and only one person knew. And you, you know, when you're cold capping, you're not supposed to be out in the sun. You're not supposed to have your hair pulled back in a ponytail. You're not supposed to do anything. So I, they, the the, the producer let me just he's like, just leave your hair, just let it. It's fine. It's fine. So I just had it hanging basically. I was like, and I'm in the sun and then I'm like hiding in the shade so that the sun doesn't heat up my scalp. Yeah. There's a lot that was going on. And then I was in a sketch group at the time working a lot at, um, so I'm UCB trained. And so I was doing a lot of stuff like with friends from UCB. Um, and I was in a sketch group and I was shooting scenes and things like that also. 
And there was one, I was in, I was about to start one of the classes. I was diagnosed in class and then I, and then I performed 48 hours after my surgery. So then I was like, how do I cover my port for that? You know, so this is all happening, you know, well, well, I have this, um, oh, I have cancer. I've got to deal with this. It's going to be 13 months of treatment because the type of cancer I have. And so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it, the, the normal diagnosis stuff. And then you have, oh, but what about the family planning? Now I've got the, and now, oh, my career. And I can't tell anyone because then it just, it's such a, in the entertainment business, you could be fired. You know? Now I think it's been with more people coming out about it or and being a little more, look at um, Chadwick Boseman. He didn't tell anyone until he died. You know, and so it's kind of like, it's that kind of business where you cannot say anything. Would they, yeah. would they, I don't know. I, you know, it's a little nerve wracking it, and it's, that was happening all, all at once in my head. Yeah. Yeah. How do I keep my hair? How do I look okay? Yeah. Like I, I had chemo gray eyes. I called it chemo gray, you know? So yeah, you have to, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> um, what's so, uh, because I saw the show, I know what it is now, but what's, um, cold capping? Right. Okay, never, so I didn't know that was a thing. I know, right? I didn't either. My oncologist told me about it because one of the things I said was, I'm an actor and I'm in the middle of filming this thing. I'm in a plot, I'm in this show. He's like, you can um, cold cap. And the, the, there was one patient ahead of me that had done it and kept her, enough of her hair. Not everyone can keep all their hair, but it's an ice cold cap. There's different types now, but when I did it, uh, it, it was, it's an ice cold, it has to be between negative 25 and negative 35. Wow. Yeah, degrees. And, and it's in a cooler. You have to keep six, or I had eight ice caps and you change them every 15 minutes so that your head is consistently that temperature. Your scalp mm-hmm. is consistently that temperature. And, uh, and then you don't wash your hair. You only like kind of rinse it with like cold water uh, once a week. You don't brush it. Uh, so I would rinse it with, I would wash it with some special soap and uh, condition it. And that was it. No brushing, nothing. I would take, they give you a comb and you can kind of like very gently hold it away. So you're not pulling on the roots mm-hmm. and just gently combing through uh, the hair separately from your scalp. So basically you don't want to ever tug on it. You don't want to wear a hat because that heats it up and, uh, and you get to keep your hair. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. So does, does the hair follicles get like, um, really fragile? Is that why you don't want to like be pulling on it? Would they just pull right out even so? Yeah. So, yeah. So the, they're not a hundred percent sure how it works, but it's only recommended for patients that have mass cancers, like tumors mm-hmm. and not blood cancers and things. Uh, it kind of, it prevents the chemo from getting to that area. So I think, I think it kind of like closes the capillaries in a little bit so that the chemo is not hitting that area. So your, your hair is not affected somehow that way. Um, so yeah, chemo works with killing fast growing cells and hair is a fast growing cell. And so that's why people lose their hair. Not all chemos cause people to go bald, but, um, Many do. And so this, yeah, it freezes that hair follicle, preventing the chemo, which is in the bloodstream from getting there. And so the hair doesn't fall out, but yes, it can get tugged down if something gets caught on it. I was actually in the radiation machine and I had um, my hand on my arm up because I was radiated in this area. And my watch got caught when I pulled my hand down. And it, this was several months after chemo. Um, 
May, June, July, three months after, a huge clump just came with my wife. Oh like, okay, so note to self. <laughs> my hair is still sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. That's so interesting, though. I did not lose any. I did not. I had like a little, like, you could, you could maybe, when my hair, when I was further enough removed from treatment, your hair starts growing back. And I had, then I was like, oh, I see little shoots coming up. So I had probably lost like a little thinning, but didn't realize. So I, mm-hmm. I was lucky I was able to keep it. Yeah. And you change it every 15 minutes for, for me, it was six hours. So it's the entirety of your chemo plus four hours after. So I had like six hours, you'd say total, but if a chemo day ran really long, so six hours from the time you start cold capping. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Now they have something called Dignacap and that, that can stay on your head and it filters as ice cold water through a tube mm. so you can sleep and you don't have to change the cap. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Technology. <laughs> like all the things. I know. It's a, it's so crazy. what drove the decision to create Chemo Barbie and create a show based on this experience? Had you done solo shows before? No, I... I knew of what I had, knew I had always wanted to do a solo show. Uh, and I had wanted, I wanted to take it to Edinburgh Fringe Festival because I had been an intern at a theater there in college. So I was like, that was like on my to-do list of life, I guess you'd say. And um, I had no idea. I was, my plan was not to tell anyone that I had cancer to get over it and like move on, you know, and not really let anyone know. Um, but then about three, four months in to chemo and I knew how I was reacting and how I knew what to expect. I sort of was like, okay, I'm more comfortable talking about this. So then I kind of opened up and I told more people and my doctors, you know, they, they tell you write down in a notebook. I've always been a big journaler. So they're like, write down in a notebook, you know, all of your reactions every week. Cause I had 12 weeks back to back of chemo and this drug called Herceptin which is an immunotherapy kind of drug. And they said, write down your reaction so you'll know next week on this day, this happened. So I know that this might happen. And so that journaling kind ended up becoming the show. And when I really realized I wanted to do it was sort of, as, as treatment progressed, I kept a, a, um, a journal, like a video journal on YouTube for myself. And I was sort of like, if, I have kids and I do pass away from this. I want them to know what I did and what I've been through. Mm-hmm. And then it also was like, well, there's not a lot about cold capping out there. So I will, maybe this can help someone with cold capping and they can find out what it is. And this is the process of cold capping. And as it, I, I went through chemo and then I went into like radiation and and then you have this year, like 11 months of just this immunodrug. It's a biotherapy drug called Herceptin. And I was like writing more and more. And I had all these videos. And I was really kind of like, people need to know what happens mm-hmm. in treatment. Yeah. Uh, and so that's how the idea sort of came a little bit. I also, um, it was this 2000, so it's the election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And um, there was a Samuel French bookshop. Do you know that bookshop? It's a famous kind of arts bookshop in Hollywood. It's since closed, but um, they had this great uh, 
great program. They just, they would do things like, here's three artists, write a monologue based on these three artists, three, three paintings. And they were female paintings because we all thought the election was going to go one way, female, you know? <laughs> um, and so I wrote my monologue uh, based off this one female painting, and it was my diagnosis monologue, which was called Pieces of Me. And I did it at their presentation of artists. So artists would come in, they read their monologues. And uh, at that point, we, it was, we found that the election had gone the other way. So it was a little more of like, we're going to still do this and we're going to celebrate female power. <laughs> so I read this monologue, you know what I mean? I've come through this cancer treatment and it's a female cancer. And so, and then I brought it to, uh, a friend of mine brought me to a free writer's workshop. This is pre-pandemic. So obviously, you know, they had, we, it was White Fire Theater. Jessica Lynn Johnson was running it. And I brought that monologue in and she's like, this should be a scene. And she's all about writing, creating one woman, one person shows, solo shows. And so that's really where it started from this monologue. Yeah. So that, yeah. And, and it, I started writing more. I pulled all my journals from, well, I'm still in treatment when I met her, but I pulled them and I wrote, I looked through them and I was like, this could be a scene. This could be a scene. Yeah. So that's how it came about. And I was, there's so many things you go through, you know, friendship changes, friendship losses, the way, the things people say to you as a, as a cancer patient, um, people need to know a younger patient has to go through fertility and just things like that, that I was just sort of like, people need to know what happens and how to treat people in, in treatment. Cause that's another thing people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I thought your show was really informative too. I think I told you that, but cause like, I, I mean, I hadn't, I don't know anything about anything. So I was like, there's that, but like, truly, like you do a really good job of, of providing information and education on the whole process too. Thank you. Yeah. It's entertainment. My director called it entertainment and it is, it's very educational. <laughs> it's funny. My opening scene was, um, originally like I had a chart of like how cells grow and it was like <laughs> so scientific <laughs> yeah no no then <laughs> my my improv background my sketch writing background took over yeah from there I love that how did you decide um and why to include so many different characters and like to have you be playing all of them so that I enjoy characters. I, I trained at the Groundlings first before UCD, and they're all about characters, and I love that kind of stuff. And uh, and so uh, my director does a lot of um, character work too, and so it just kind of that's how it came about. It was sort of her style and my style coming together. Yeah, so that's where all the characters came from. I love creating kind of playing different things, playing different people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm writing a book series right now and I, characters are my favorite part, but I swear I'm taking on all of their personalities at once, (laughs) but it's fun. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I do a lot of like fantasy area where it's, I have a whole scene where I play hair. So I personify hair and it's like, how do you tell about these things that are either really depressing or, or how, how would you uh, tell this about the hair on my body and what happened? And, you know, I lost all my hair, except not my, except for this hair and my pubes, you know, I was like, how do you do this? How do you tell this? And because this is going to happen to me, it's going to happen to other people. 
And uh, and so it became they pers- I personified yeah. them, and so they're characters, as you know. Yeah, it's really fun, and it's kind of cool to discover like how would a pubic hair move? You know, <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> how would my arm hair move and my eyelashes like what would they do what kind of voice would they have if they could be a voice have a voice yeah That's, That's, yeah that was one of my favorite scenes I laughed so hard about that <laughs> um, I'm, doing new, I'm doing a new show where I um I am now uh talking it's, I play um gauze and a knife and like uh so it's kind of fun to to find that kind of stuff yeah <laughs> That's so fun. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why did you, cause you, you involve video as well in your yeah. um, uh, show. What, what's the inspiration behind that or, or vision behind that? So those are actual, I kind of videoed my whole sh- journey for my journal and it's on, it's a YouTube channel called keep, and keep abreast with Heather. And I've had a lot of people that it's just, it's all free. Like I just, I want people to be able to not be like, I was terrified when I was diagnosed, like truly terrified. And there was no one I could talk to about cold capping except for my oncologist connected me with a woman who had done it. So I want people to see like how, how you can live with it through it and beyond. Um, And so I, it was really important for me to capture like kind of my story and I don't know, chemo can make your eyesight kind of have issues with your eyesight, which I sort of did. I had words that would jump out at me, like if I was reading. So reading kind of became difficult. Um, and so it can mess up with that kind of stuff. So for me, as an actor, I'm very comfortable with a camera. I, I was like, I can play around, I can learn. No one's watching, you know? And uh, and then I just, I would just record. And it, there's there are some videos that are very personal that are private and you cannot see. Um, but yeah, that's where they came from. They're, they're kind of just like my story. Um, and I wanted to share that with people and kind of help. I've had, you know, parents contact me about their children's port. And one of the videos, it's about getting, preparing your port for being stuck that day. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to get to the hospital early that day. And I'm, I shot it, I turned to flip the phone around. And so I shot it in my car waiting to go in. And I was like, this is what you do. And it has one of the more, has one of the most use because it's, I guess, very helpful. People don't know you take um, this cream, lidocaine cream, you put it on. And I, I had a baggie with me. So I put the baggie on like a plastic bag so that it would numb the area about an hour to 45 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour before. So I talk about it and it's literally shot in my little, Mini Cooper convertible that I had during my cancer treatment. It's like car broke down right before, right before cancer treatment, and uh, well, during actually, and I was like, I'm going to get a fun car if I have to go to the hospital every week. So yeah, so some of them are like that, and then my husband and I decided to create kind of like a night, uh, an edited together video. He's great with editing, so he created a video that has a ton. It's the most watched video on there and uh it's you'll laugh and you'll cry too because it and so he took a lot of my personal videos that I had done and put it together and then we filmed at the hospital too so it's and he did it to mute like music and certain beats of the music so um yeah that's how I I kind of it was my creative my creative outlet during 13 months of treatment was that 
was creating those videos. Yeah, I bet. I was just going to ask about how the show itself, like was that part of the healing journey as well? Uh, Like you mean performing it, Mm -hmm. writing it? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, There was a point where I had all of my medical so you accumulate a ton of medical paperwork, files and stuff. And I just, I had them out. I was looking through my pathology report to see. So I, cause I want my show to be factual too. So yeah. I was like kind of re-looking at this about, um, what, you know, like eight, 10 months into treatment. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, it just was bringing up a lot. So it, it was kind of, it was a little, it was cathartic, definitely writing the show and then performing it not realizing where that it would become a thing, um, that it would help others. And so it was really, the whole show has been very much of a healing kind of journey for me too. Not, not just for other people watching and learning. Yeah, definitely. My mom said one time, she was like, it's like every time you perform a little bit of your, what you went through just drops off out onto the audience. Then like leaves me. I thought I was very observant of my mother. <laughs> yeah. Um, so thinking about it from like the emotional toll that, that the journey would take, how are you able to separate going through the journey, start to finish in real life, and then going through it again on stage? (laughs) I know it's a lot. Um, you know, uh, I don't, I mean, it's hard. I don't really separate so much. I kind of use what I'm feeling in that moment. Mm. So I did this show in the Edinburgh Fringe ultimately in 2018. And in the Fringe, you perform every day. So I did the show, I did 27 performances in 28 days or 29 days. I had one day off. And people would say, you do this every day? Yeah, and it really tightened the show. Uh, it really grew, um, but every day it is a different piece. Every time I, I kind of every time I perform it, it's the same show, but I kind of it, it kind of like metamorphosizes, I guess, a little bit as I'm doing it every day. And you know, you're at the Fringe. I don't know if you've ever been to the Edinburgh Fringe, but like they have, you know, some days I had guys with big beers in the front row. You know, <laughs> there I am, like yelling at my oncologist you know, or yelling as my oncologist, not yelling at him too, you know, and they're just swigging their beer, you know, and it's a very surreal experience. Yeah. Uh, and they're not very emotional. The Brits, I guess they're Scottish. Yeah. They're from all over really. And if you got like a laugh, I was like, Oh, that person must be Italian or Spanish. <laughs> you know, you know it, cause it's such an international audience. Mm-hmm. So it, it was an experience that uh, forced me to really, focus on my characters so it it doesn't necessarily like it doesn't so I wouldn't be taken out by like the guy drinking beer you know like oh wow he's really drinking that beer or like oh are they really enjoying the show you know instead I just focus and perform the show Mm -hmm. and whatever emotion I was having that day I would try to put it in that character but it it is it does take a toll it's exhausting because I'm playing now I've added to it so I probably have about so anywhere from 35 to 40 characters. So in, in about 70 minutes. So it's about, you know, it's 
it's, it's tiring, but it's really yeah. fun. And it's also like invigorating. And I, I try not to let it, I guess, um, I try to use it as like an outlet for my emotions as opposed to the opposite of having it bring me down. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's a great answer too. Cause I mean, just like my own, like in life, I'm going to do that. <laughs> like, I don't get completely derailed by my emotions. It's fine. Yeah. And you know, you never, you never know what someone, the guy in the front row, I had great reviews. So the guy in the front row, man, he was probably enjoying it. It's just, yeah, they're very tight lipped. And sometimes they'd be crying, you know, and it was just like a tear, mm-hmm. very proper. Yeah. Okay. So they're really into it. They're just really into their beer too. <laughs> yeah. I've, so I've had a couple of other um, people on, on uh, who've done one woman, one woman shows and I've asked them, um, how has it been different performing for a live audience and then, and then switching to live stream because of the pandemic? Do you, do you find that it's harder because you lose that audience interaction or because you are so focused in on your characters and on the show, it, what did it not change much for you? Um, it is a weird experience live stream because you don't have that feedback. The show was a lot shorter because I didn't have to hold for laughs. Mm. And trying out new material is harder because you don't have the laughs to know, oh, is that funny? Or are they crying? Like, is that, how did that work? Kind of feedback. You don't have that. And I do miss that audience, that feedback from them and seeing them kind of on that journey with me, like on the ride of the show where it's like, you end up, it's an uplifting show. And uh, so I, I do enjoy that part of it. And then the live stream is just so different. It's more like taping a TV show. I did a performance, yeah, Santa Monica performance, and they had three cameras. And normally, I don't ever leave the stage, but for that, I was leaving. So normally, I sit on the cooler, the, the cooler that I use for cold capping to, to carry the dry ice and the cold caps. And that's in the show. And I normally sit in front on that. And then the videos play behind me. And I kind of look up when I watch the videos. And then I, so you can see me reacting to the videos, but it was weird to have to like leave stage, then come back. Yeah. And then enter you know, for the, cause the videos, they would zoom in on the videos and then come back mm-hmm. and then I would enter. So it's a very different experience. It's a little like, you don't, you don't really know what's, what the audience is thinking. Yeah. 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 You, you lose that emotional connection. A little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you briefly mentioned your new show. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I don't know what it's going to become, but um <laughs> Through, through cancer treatment, we became interested in fostering. And so we became foster parents. And we uh, fostered for two years and then adopted uh, her. And, um, and so it, it starts with that. So it's, it's from what I've done so far, which is very little. I mean, I have scenes written, but I've only performed um, a couple weeks ago, last week, last Friday, um, live stream. And uh, it was it's, it's basically about fostering and then my childhood. So it's kind of, it's, it's about parenting, but it's more about like becoming a foster parent and then relating to that, to your, my childhood and parenting in general. Yeah. And yeah. 
it start it starts right now with a social worker and uh, and it's us being interviewed. So you have to become a in order to become a foster parent, or they're called resource parents, really. So in order to become a resource parent, you have to do a home study. So it starts with that, and it's explaining kind of like this home study, um, and I play the foster uh, agent, the social worker enters. It's me, mm-hmm. and and I play I play quite a few characters uh, right already actually. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, uh, but it's really fun. It's been a good experience, and so far, yeah. So I'm excited about it. I'm I'm excited to it's it's coming along quicker because I know how to create a solo show and I know the style I want now. Yeah, yeah. So you, you recently added the part about your daughter to mm-hmm. Kimo Barbie, right? Because I I saw that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yes, that's a brand new scene. See, I don't know how it played out with the audience because it's a brand new scene. Adorable. Oh my god. <laughs> what did you think of that? What did, did you like that scene? I yeah, heard of that. I really yeah. so cute. Oh my god. Okay, good. <laughs> there's feedback. Yeah, there's my I feedback. It. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's um it's it's a cool See, Kimo Barbie has progressed as I go. So when I first started the show in 2017, I was three months removed from treatment. So I had just finished treatment, had my port removed and performed in the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And uh, it was an hour long show. um, And all I did was I showed the embryos. I didn't talk because we had, we were still not foster parents even then. Mm -hmm. So then... 2018 so it had been performed a bunch through 2017 going into 2018 then edinburgh fringe was that summer that summer i had changed so i updated it to adding in that we've now have a foster daughter she's nine months old and um you know she's the light of our life i can't exactly remember what i said yeah but i had that part in there and then now I perform and now she's in the show and i talk about how we adopted her so it's cool to kind of be able to it's just moving kind of body of work that grows with me as I go through. And that's sort of how I thought of treatment. Like no matter what happens, like hopefully I will live on and never have to deal with cancer again. Yeah. Um, and there's that story. And then whatever happens, I'll just add into the show. So that's kind of how I see this show now. And the same with the, the YouTube channel. It's kind of like that too. It's become this sort of like, it's taken on its own entity. You still do videos for that? I still do. Yeah. Cool. I just don't show my daughter's face just for her own privacy yeah. and safety, but, um, yeah, it's, I just still do. I don't post as much. I'm still technically in, I'm not in treatment, but I, and I'm cancer free. I should say that I, um, <laughs> um Yay. and I'm on drugs till July of this year. And, um, so that'll be five years. I'm on the five year tamoxifen plan. Yeah. So hopefully that, Hopefully I won't have to ever deal with it again. Yeah. Yeah. Cross your fingers. Yes. Fingers crossed. All of them. Is that, is that typical? Like multiple years of um, like drug therapy, I guess? Yes. So even if you are cancer free, so I have friends that are metastatic, meaning it's gone elsewhere and they'll have to permanently do like forever have to do chemo mm-hmm. until it's not an option. Mm-hmm. Um, my... I found mine very early and I was triple positive. So there is a, I say this in the show, I think it's 2014. Yeah. I talk about the study. So, um, I did one chemo, one, one immunotherapy, radiation, 
and five years, five to 10 years of tamoxifen. Um, but we're going to try to have a child in, after I'm done with the tamoxifen with the embryos that we had. Mm-hmm. But for many people, everyone's story is so different. And that's kind of what I wanted my show to be kind of like, this is my story. It's not everyone's story. Yeah, There are 15 types of breast cancer and there are zillions of other types of cancer. But this is what my story has been. And it'll give people who maybe have gone through treatment for maybe a colon cancer or something, a little light into what it's like, but it's not the same. And, it, and um, but yeah, um, it's, it is, yeah, tamoxifen, you can be five to 10 years. Studies, it depends that, you know, the treatments are constantly changing because science keeps progressing. So that's a good thing. Um, if I had been diagnosed a year earlier, I would have done two chemos. So that study that came out kept me from having to do one chemo because they're trying to figure out like how people's bodies kind of individual treatment kind of a little more. Yeah. But ultimately, yes. Once you're diagnosed, you kind of, it's always there in your head. And yeah. as, you, as you get removed further and further from it and you get, if you do get to survive, um, and live beyond, then it's there and it's kind of always in the back, but it's, it's like in the back. And sometimes it gets pushed to the front when you have to go for like a scan or something, but right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of always hovering there. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine. Okay, um, I want to be mindful of time before we go to final five. <laughs> but um, is there anything that I didn't ask that you want to share? Um, I think just like uh, one thing that that the reason I am uh, um, here today is early is is early intervention. So like, feel your boobs. Make sure. If you feel something weird, it's probably nothing because most of the time it's not, but just go and be like, what is that? You know, and just get it looked at. And if sometimes people have issues with their doctors, push and push until you get an actual answer. Mm -hmm. So definitely take your health in your own hands, kind of like, be like, I'm, and trust your instincts and, and just kind of uh, make sure you check your boobies. Yeah. No, I second that because I, personal experience I did feel something weird I have it's benign it's like a cyst but yeah like jumping on that and checking it like I wouldn't have known if I didn't so yeah what was the cyst yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um so I'm trying not to show my I still have a Christmas mug out um no that's the thing it most of the time is nothing yeah but just getting into that kind of um, health, it's healthy to do that. It's taking, it's taking, not like it's taking matters into your own hands, but in a healthy way, like, Oh, I feel something strange. And then knowing your boobs, which right. I, it might sound silly, but you know, you can even take, there's a video I created at one point, you take a piece of paper and you like draw two circles. And then if you feel something, you write it on that circle and you could take it to your doctor, or you can, if you wait, see if it's there. Cause our boobs change over every month. Mm-hmm you know, see if it's feel, feels like a little bigger, just get to know them. So no, okay. You do go to the, if you feel anything, go to your doctor. And then your doctor's like, it's a cyst. Okay. Well, here's the cyst drawn on that little circle in that area. That would be the right or the left boob. 
and just leave it there. And then you can kind of know that's there. So every time you feel it, you're not freaking out because you know, okay, that was there. My doctor said it's a cyst. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just know your body a little, just kind of get to know, but I'm all for science and making, just getting something checked out. Even during the pandemic, I know a lot of people are scared, but um, double mask, Pfizer, that's what my doctor's told me. <laughs> mask and Pfizer. Yeah. And go in. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've been, because this was in, I felt it first in June. So we were in the pandemic when, when all of this yeah. was happening. And then going to get, they had me do um, an ultrasound of it. And that's what determined that it was a cyst. And they're like, they're so careful about everything like masks and they they were back then they were taking everyone's temperature um before you even like were allowed in so yeah like it's okay <laughs> it's okay <laughs> so it's terrifying it's scary though right it's it is scary. it really is yeah it sets like it's like the anxiety level for me anyway is like up here and then oh okay yeah it goes down when I know like I I still get, have my boobs so I can still I still get cysts but it's there. My, my cancer did not form from a cyst. Mm. So they come and go as we get our period. Yeah. Yeah. Health lesson today. (laughs) I know. Right. (laughs) Well, no, this is good because like, I was not, I was someone who was not educated on like anything. So (laughs) having educated myself and like, I'm all for like, let's, let's normalize female education. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's so funny because yeah, female health is so important. And a lot of it was, it was based off of men back in the day. So we've got to like, you know, progress forward and get some female health education out there because we aren't men. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. um, Time for final five speed round. Okay. Okay. One. What's the most unexpected thing to come out of creating Chemo Barbie? Um, all these friendships that I have with other artists that in, so, in the solo community, that's been great. And also knowing that it's like so many people come up to me and say, your show has really changed, you know, the way I think. And like, it's just, it's helped people. It's very humbling. I love that. Uh, second question. What is one thing you've learned throughout the entire journey? <laughs> Um, that life ends very quickly. <laughs> it's like one thing. <laughs> life, life is very short. Just live in the moment, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yolo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Funny story. I didn't know what Yolo meant, but I would say you only live once, and okay. I'd be like, "Oh yeah, look, Yolo." And I'm like, "What? What is Yolo?" And they're like, "Literally, what you just said." It's fine. Um, <laughs> now, there are things I have to look up. I'm like, what does that mean? Let's like Google it. Literally. Okay, third question. What is one piece of advice you have for someone in the early days of receiving a cancer diagnosis? Uh, um, so that you're okay, you're here, you're alive, because I thought I was going to die immediately. Um, and, um, and to get more, multiple opinions. I had several, I had three opinions and, uh, I, I, I just highly recommend that. Um, three like opinions through either whatever your, you know, oncologist or, uh, I had opinions through an oncologist and I had different surgeon surgical opinions. And I went with the first people that I really loved. Um, and they're amazing. So, you know, just go and get, a second opinion, at least, at least a second opinion. 
and, and, and the world is not over. You're still breathing it in the world. You know, that's kind of like, okay, I'm still here. I'm still here. You know, don't think long-term you need, you'll get it. You'll get a plan. They'll give you a plan. And once that plan is in place, it's like, okay, I can get through this. And then once you get through that kind of celebrate it a little bit, like, okay, I got through whatever it was like a scan or something. Get a nice coffee, whatever, just live in that moment. Cause we're not here yet. You know, you don't know what that future has, but you do know you have this plan and just try to focus on that. That's what I think I would have, it helped me. Yeah, cool. Uh, fourth question, what is your favorite pre-show ritual? I meditate before every show. So I do, I sit backstage and I just meditate. I love just that. Like, even just a minute, I'm kind of like, okay, right before I go on. Nice. Yeah. And last question. What is your favorite post-show ritual? Post-show ritual? Um, I think I like chatting with the audience. Sometimes I do Q&As after, and I really like talking and answering questions and stuff. I think that's really fun, but also it's partly why I do the show, you know, to help people. So I really enjoy that. Nice. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with us. You're just amazingly talented and inspirational. And I'm I'm so glad to have met you. I can't wait to meet like in person. I know, right? Well, you're such a movie here. So I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. It's been really great. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy that you were, you were on. Family, you can find Heather on Instagram at Chemo Barbie Show and check out her YouTube channel, Keep Abreast with Heather to connect to the amazing, humorous, inspirational human and show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media all of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time. <laughs>